Hi, I'm Elena Joe, and this is Big Picture Relationships, episode number 15, When Your Magic is Gone. Sometimes you just don't have anything to give. Sometimes you're sad. Sometimes you want to lay in bed all day long and eat cookie dough for all three meals and snack time too. Sometimes you hate work, or you might even hate your kids, and you can't remember why you feel like your life is okay the rest of the time. And you know what? I am here today to tell you that that's okay, and even a good thing. And I'm just so glad you're here. This is Big Picture Relationships with Elena Joe, a therapist sharing insights, ideas, and real-life pep talks that encourage you to expand your perspective, maybe shift some behaviors, and make the most of real-life relationships so you can live a happy life right now. Hello, my friends. I am looking forward to talking to you today about something that I knew would come up sooner or later, and I'm a little bit embarrassed that it's come up so early in my creation of this podcast I've been so excited about, but here it is. I woke up this morning with no magic in me whatsoever, no spark, nothing interesting about me, absolutely nothing lighting up my mind, nothing I'm passionate about. In fact, it was quite the opposite. Every so often I wake up and I just feel like my magic is gone. The little sparkle, that uniqueness that I bring to the world is dead, is gone. And I think I'm not alone in this, but it's not something people talk about a lot. Maybe in the last few years, it's more increasingly acceptable to admit that people have down days. But I woke up today and this happens to me every once in a while where I just have nothing to give and I'm apathetic about everything. And some days, luckily not today, but some days I'm downright sad or a little bit melancholy. And so we're going to talk today about the fact that that is normal and that lots of people go through that. And if you are someone who goes through that, I would love to hear about it and how frequently you think it happens and what you do, if anything, to get out of that space where your magic is gone. Because... Nobody studies this that I know of, and it'd be really interesting just to know. So anyway, here I am today to talk about the days that you just don't want to blank really exist, or the days that you feel like your magic is gone. Because in my first, I don't know, 30 years of life, I was really hard on myself when I hit these days. I felt like something was wrong with me, and I wasn't living up to my potential, and really guilty. Guilt and shame is the best word, really shame that comes up when I'd hit days like that. I'd think, what is wrong with me? My life is so great. These are first world problems. Elena, get over it. Get over yourself. Get up and get to work. But what I have found in the last decade of my life is that when I can sit back and relax and accept that those days are normal and that those days actually provide contrast in my life and help me appreciate the days that I am high and on top of the world and have magic to give and and my cup overfloweth to you know wanting to pour it out on other people those days are so much more rich and full and meaningful in contrast with the days that I'm empty And so I'm here to tell you this today and this advice and just to normalize the fact that when you have days where you just don't want to, where your magic is gone, that's okay. And in fact, if you can embrace that it's not only okay, it's normal and probably even good for you, those days aren't so deep and dark or guilt-ridden and you're more likely to come out of it a little more quickly. Think about this idea that contrast provides variety in life. If you were happy and productive and on top of the world all the time, it would become bland and blah and normal because you would have nothing to contrast that with. 
So in my opinion, we need to dip down into that valley of apathy or sadness or melancholy or feeling like we have nothing to give in order to appreciate what it feels like when we do have extra in us to give and to share with others. So appreciate those days when you're not all you should be. And I'll tell you a story that this made me think of as I was, anyway, this whole subject. So as you know, I work with teenagers in treatment for long-term therapy. And I had a young woman who was the most bipolar young woman I had ever worked with a number of years ago. And for those of you who don't know, bipolar is where brain chemicals, it is truly a chemical thing, swing high and swing low. Someone who's truly and deeply bipolar may swing as high as impulsively living on top of the world, not sleeping for days, spending all their money, spending other people's money. They might open lots of credit cards because they feel invincible and on top of the world. And it is the most beautiful high, natural high. And people who are bipolar love those moments. They, you know, imagine feeling on top of the world and invincible. It would be so great. But then those brain chemicals swing the other direction down to darkness and despair and blahness. Now, somebody with the most extreme bipolar swings way high and way low, all the way down to in their lowest points, they may be suicidal, feel like there's no reason to live, end up in the mental hospital or have suicide attempts or even successful, well, suicide completion. Sorry, that's the politically correct word, a suicide completion. Now, some have bipolar and it's not that intense, and those who have mood-stabilizing medications are hopefully not that intense. But even on the right medications, someone who's bipolar has swings in their life. And this young woman that I worked with was properly medicated, and she was making really good progress in her life, but she lived in fear of the downswing. She was a high schooler. She was, you know, finally getting good grades, passing classes, rebuilding relationships with her large family. And she lived in terror of the swing that she knew was coming or was terrified was coming or tried to push off. You know, maybe if I'm good enough and cured, then I won't ever swing down and I won't ruin everything I've been doing. But the biggest turning point came in her therapy when I said, what if you just accept that those downswings are going to happen and if you embrace them as part of your life. And when you're in your high state, in a normal state functioning, you do it, you can't get your grades high enough, get your relationships strong enough, write notes to yourself so that you can see it through when you're not yourself, when you have off days or off weeks. And this whole idea really changed things around for her. And so that advice applies to us ourselves too. If we know and accept that some days you wake up and your sparkle is gone, your magic is gone, you have nothing to give, and you just lean into it and say, you know what, I'm just going to read a book and drink a Coke today, or I'm going to sleep in, or I'm just going to watch Netflix with my kids all day, or today might be a lazy day at work, and you might even announce that to people at work if you're, you know, depending on your job situation, just be like, you know, I'm not on top of my game today. I'll be back tomorrow. And even I do that at work sometimes just to say, hey, this isn't my best day. I'll be fine. You know, hang in there with me. When we can accept that in ourselves, I'll tell you that the guilt and shame that goes along with those feelings is much less. And that sparkle and magic is so much more likely to come back. And you come back stronger and better than ever. We need those healing days. So accepting that they are there is something really good and kind you can do for yourself. So to those of us who are not bipolar, but nonetheless suffer with mood swings, because we all probably suffer with mood swings, whether you want to call it that or not, 
Give it a name. Say, this is not a good day. This is not my best day or my best season. I myself, I think this mood today came because I've been sick for over a week and I'm just tired of it. And I could get up and go to work because I had to all week and keep functioning. But man, the weekend hit and I have a good reason to put a name to the fact that I am blah and nothing is interesting. And I feel like I have nothing interesting to share. And that's okay. And by embracing the fact that that's okay, my magic's more likely to come back. And it will do that for you too. Now, imagine building this into your family culture. Imagine if you gave your spouse, your partner, the space to have bad days too and not take it personally and not shame them for helping out more or shame them for the days that you're doing the bulk of the parenting or the bulk of the house cleaning. If you're asking for that space and forgiveness from them for your off days, offer that in abundance to them. Even if you're not asking for it yet, start to offer that in abundance. Imagine building that family culture where you raise kids who know that it's okay to not be at their peak performance all the time, who don't grow up with the shame that I did or that some of us did feeling like we always have to be at top performance level and burn ourselves out. So offer your loved ones that sympathy and understanding and acceptance to say, you know what? Cool. You're not having the best day. You work hard all the rest of the time. And I'm proud of how much you accomplish. And in the big picture, you're totally productive and you're fine. So take a down day or a down week or a postpartum six months or whatever your off season is, that's okay. Because in the big picture, having that contrast in your life and those down times and moments are totally normal and okay and will actually boost you to greater heights. And one last story to close off that idea of being boosted to greater heights. A few years ago, my mom got into her head that my sisters and I, there were four girls in my family, should run the Tinkerbell Half Marathon. She was so excited about it, did all her research and talked all of us into signing up. And this you have to sign up for that marathon like a year in advance. Highly recommended. It was super fun. But I was terrified because after a few pregnancies, I had really bad hips and I won't go into all the details, but I was not a good runner. And when I ran, it hurt me and I'd be injured afterward. And I worked with a physical therapist forever. And she finally said to me, no joke, maybe your body is just not made for running. And I wanted to throw up my hands and say, you're fired. Because, you know, what kind of doctor tells a person in normal health, normal age, normal weight that I was just not cut out for running. So I gave up for a while and finally researched and decided to try this method where at the beginning of my running training, I would jog for like 30 seconds and walk for a few minutes and jog for 30 seconds, one little, st- I'm not even talking run, like jog, barely putting pressure on my hips and joints. And then slowly over weeks and weeks of times, I would increase my jogging time and decrease my walking time. So, you know, after a little while, it was jog a minute, walk two minutes, jog a minute and a half, walk two minutes, jog two minutes, walk a minute and a half. You know, I mean, you can picture all this. I had a big spreadsheet laid, laid it all out. By the time I ran that half marathon, I steadily ran for three minutes and this was running, not jogging. I ran at a better clip by being able to run for three minutes and walk for one minute. And no joke, I did the whole three hours. I don't even remember how long, what my time was. Probably not brag worthy. However, I ran over 13 miles, which, you know, my physical therapist had said six months earlier I could not do by running for three minutes and walking for one, taking that downtime, taking a breather, being easy on myself, giving my body a break, and then jumping back into it was awesome. I felt good. Now, here's a story to drive this point home one little inch further. 
my sisters caught up to me, which, yeah, it was kind of cool that I, with my running and walking, was going faster than some of my sisters who were just jogging steadily. They caught up to me near the end, the last, you know, 10 minutes, last half mile, the last mile, I don't know, and said, come on, run with us. Let's do it together. So wanting to be with them and maybe a little bit of pride. I am a little bit competitive, I admit. Wanting to stay with them, I ran. I pushed it. I stopped giving in to my one-minute breaks, and I ran solid. I don't remember how long it was, but I started hurting. I started hurting quite a lot by the end. We passed the finish through the finish line together, and I, my knee hurt and my hip hurt so badly that I sat down. I found ice right away, and it was an awful weekend with an injury, and it took me weeks to stop limping around and being able to go downstairs the proper way and all that sort of stuff. So point being, when I stopped taking breaks and tried to be at my peak performance nonstop for too long of a time, I got injured and it took a long, long time to recover. Now, I hope you see the translation to our mental health and our daily functioning. If you go, go, go and expect, expect, expect of yourself at your highest performance all the time and you don't take those breaks, those rests, those... um, down days where you lay around in bed and stay in pajamas and everyone eats cereal for all the meals of the day or whatever that version of just not wanting to and not you know pulling up your magic and your sparkle that day if you go too long just performing you hurt yourself and you hurt what you have to give to others so try accepting for yourself instead the down moments that come, the down days, even the down weeks. Now, I get it. It's scary. Even I myself. Now, I've practiced this sort of self-love and encouragement for, I don't know, maybe 10 years when I have these down days. And even now, if it stretches on into more than a day, I think, oh no, that's it. What if that's the end of my, it was a good decade where I had a lot to give, but what if that's the end of it? And it's a scary moment. I totally get it. But just like that girl that I counseled in her teens to say, embrace it, have faith that your magic will come back. Don't be too hard on yourself. I can tell you that it does come back. It hasn't failed me yet. And I'll be there right there with you when you have those down days and tell yourself, it'll be okay. This is normal. This is good. I can do nothing today and my magic will come back tomorrow. Thanks so much for listening. I encourage you to be kind to yourself and give the best you can when you can and be easy on yourself when you can't. Happy hack for today goes along perfectly with this episode, and this is maybe my best kept secret of all time, which is the beauty of a 20-minute nap. I take a 20-minute nap several times a week, even in my office. When I stayed at home with my little kids in the early days and they drove me batty, I every day would take a 20-minute nap no matter how much I had on my plate to do. So I googled this out of curiosity to see if my 20-minute nap was, you know, really founded in research and valid. And I found this. It said most sleep experts agree that if you want to have a quick jolt of alertness and vigor or to decrease your fatigue, a 50 or a 10, a 10 to 20-minute nap was the way to go. So how do you just nap for 10 or 20 minutes? That's really tricky, especially if you're exhausted and, you know, you could fall asleep because no, I I don't know. I don't feel good after those three hour long naps that sometimes happen on Saturday or Sunday and you feel groggy. So here's how you do it for just 20 minutes or less. 
I set an alarm for 25 minutes. That way I don't feel anxiety about falling asleep quickly and don't feel nervous that, you know, I have to hurry up and fall asleep to get my 20 minutes in. And in fact, I even tell myself that it's okay if I just lay there still and quiet and have 20 minutes of deep breathing and a meditative time. That way I also don't feel anxiety about the need to fall asleep too quickly. So try that. Even if you don't fall asleep, it's an awesome rest, but I fall asleep every time. My dad, back in the day before this easy alarm clock, when he was working three different jobs to support his young family, used to put his keys in his hand and dangle his arm at the edge of the bed or the edge of the couch or wherever he was laying. So as soon as his body relaxed enough that those keys would drop out of his hand, it woke him up and he knew that his 10 to 20 minutes was done and could go to, you know, to the next job after however little sleep he'd gotten. So I'm explaining this way too long, but the bottom line is no matter how busy you are or how productive you need to be, the benefits of a 20-minute nap can give you a fresh start for the day, increase your vigor and alertness, and decrease your fatigue. So give it a try. Thanks so much, friends. Don't forget to pass along this podcast to anyone that it could help or to give it a rating or review. And I'll talk to you next time. Visit www.elenajo.co for show notes and random photos along with any handouts mentioned in this episode. Find elenajo.co on Instagram for daily big picture reminders and join the big picture email list for an occasional pick-me-up in your inbox from Elena Joe. Thanks for joining us.